Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, let's say a word of prayer as we open up God's word. We'll be in Acts chapter 1 today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful uh, so much for the time that we have to gather together today. And we pray, God, that as we open up your word, you would help us to welcome your word into our lives as the living word of God. And God, allow it to work in us so that we may take it home with us so, the bit, so a bit of the kingdom of God may spring up wherever we are and so that our week may be filled with the gift of your grace that is poured out for us today. So, Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, happy seventh Sunday of Easter. <laughs> uh, the people of God all around the world over the past seven weeks have been caught up in celebration of the resurrected Messiah. And sure, we recognize Jesus as the resurrected King every single week. Uh, but during Eastertide, the celebration is churned up to 11. <laughs> uh, it's churned up a notch, and it reaches a fever pitch of celebration. And over the past seven weeks, we have joined in that celebration. We have sung songs. We have uh, gathered together. We've been uh, opening up God's Word in a series that we've called Telling the Story. And so as we've been celebrating, we've been uh, telling the story of, of God uh, as it's recorded in the book of Acts. And we've tried to look at the parts of the story, uh, the, the highlights from this book. Uh, we began in, in week one where we learned, uh, this is Easter Sunday, we learned from Peter, who was speaking at the house of Cornelius, the key marks of the gospel story. And remember, foundational to this uh, series is, is the idea and the truth that the gospel is not just a set of facts that you either believe or not, uh, but rather the gospel is a story that reveals to us truths about the world, about ourselves, and about God. And ultimately then, what this story does and what it is, is it's an invitation uh, to align ourselves and our lives according to those truths that it reveals. And so we've been looking at the story, and uh, we, we began with Peter speaking at the house of Cornelius of the key marks of this gospel story. And we recognize that the ministry of Jesus introduced to us the idea of the kingdom of God. And then the death of Jesus is where he absorbed all the sin of the world. But then the resurrection of Jesus is where that sin and death were finally and ultimately defeated in principle. And then in the second week, we realized that, that resurrection is about walking through death. And whether that death is, is a literal, physical death or metaphorical death, something comes into our life, a struggle, a situation, a circumstance, and it feels like a death, resurrection is found through the death. In other words, resurrection is not just a trick to avoid death, but rather resurrection is the truth that on the other side of death there is life. And that is a, a hopeful, hopeful message for us. In the third week, we realize that salvation is a present reality as well as a future hope. It isn't so much that we uh, will be saved as much as we are saved and are being saved. And we, were then, we are then invited to repent, which means to go in another direction, to enter into the salvation life of Christ. 
That is to say that the gospel message has everything to do with our lives right here and right now today as they do as it does with our lives after we die. In the fourth week, we uh, looked at the story of the Apostle Paul who visits Athens and talks about, uh, he talks to the people there about Christ by pointing out their spiritual searching. And then in week five, Rick spoke to us about the importance of, of martyrs. And then in week six, last week, we looked at the, the four marks of the common life of believers, the marks of prayer, fellowship, breaking bread, and teaching. And today we end our series at the beginning of the book with an odd story of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I want to read the first 14 verses to you. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was indeed alive. And he appeared to them after a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." And then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now, after he had said this, and this is where I want to focus in this morning. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were there looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? For this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will, go back, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem to the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now, this idea of Jesus uh, being ascended into heaven is kind of an odd thing, is it not? <laughs> it's probably the part of the, the gospel story or the Christian story that, that really is uh, the most unclear. And it, it raises really all sorts of questions. Questions like, why did Jesus need to do this? Uh, where did he go? Does this mean that he is absent? Why did he go to heaven? What is he doing now? <laughs> Or maybe Jesus was just a primitive spaceman who could jump from galaxy to galaxy with no millennial falcon necessary. Uh, that could be it. Uh, or it's often like we look at the ascension and on the most basic level, sometimes people have said, well, the ascension is why Jesus isn't here with us walking uh, flesh and blood with us today. is because he, he went away up into, up into heaven. Uh, but before we begin to answer and unpack some of those questions, it's really important for us to, to understand uh, the, the relationship uh, 
between heaven and earth and how the Bible talks about uh, this relationship between heaven and earth. In other words, we're never really fully going to understand the meaning of Jesus' ascension until we get a handle on how the Bible talks about the relationship between heaven and earth. Now, in modern understanding, uh, we have uh, often understood that relationship in these ways. We have said, earth is broken. It's a broken and terrible place that is going downhill fast. Heaven is where we go when we die to live with God forever. Therefore, the two places are totally separated. And unfortunately for many modern Christians, the goal of faith has been to escape earth in order to get to heaven uh, by way of death or rapture. Uh, But I want to say to you that this isn't actually at all how the scripture talks about the relationship between heaven and earth. And it certainly isn't how our ancient brothers and sisters would have understood this relationship. And so if we understand the, the relationship between heaven and earth in a more biblical way, we understand it this way. That heaven and earth are overlapping dimensions of reality. Heaven and earth are overlapping dimensions of the same reality. This is a far better way uh, of understanding the relationship between heaven and earth. Now, I can see many of the confused looks on your faces, and so let me try to illustrate this way. How many of you uh, remember the magic eye pictures that were really popular in the 90s, right? Yeah, and some hands didn't go up because you were two at the time. Um, so that's okay. There's no, this is the no judgment zone, the no judgment zone. So, uh, that's all right. Um, you don't remember that because you were too young, but in the nineties, there were these really famous, uh, books, pictures. Uh, this was just as the internet was just becoming like it getting into households. And so you could sometimes see them online. Uh, but it was certainly going, uh, into emails everywhere. And it was, it was these pictures where it, on the surface, it looked really scrambled, Uh, But if you looked at it in the right way, with the right perspective, uh, you could begin to see behind that uh, another picture uh, emerge. And so here's an example of a a magic eye picture. Uh, Some of you are going to be trying to see the the picture. Uh, But here here it is. Uh, It's one of those, there's two dimensions to the picture. On the surface, it, it looks like there's nothing. Uh, some of them on the surface began to, to see that uh, they were really quite beautiful just with all the mix of colors. Uh, but if you look close enough, uh, veiled in that picture, you could learn to see the picture within the picture. Uh, and so I want to submit to you that the, ma- the, the concept of the magic eye, where there is something on the surface as well as something underneath the surface, the two dimensions, I want to submit to you that this is a far better representation of the relationship between heaven and earth than earth is right here and then heaven is up there. So uh, let's clear that picture away. That way people can come back to what I'm saying. (laughs) And many of you are saying, there's not a picture there. I was a pro at these and I can't see that one. Uh, That's okay. Uh, We'll talk about that. Now, the understand, now, this understanding of the relationship between heaven and earth actually helps bring clarity to the meaning of Jesus' ascension and the point of Jesus' ascension. And, and that is this, that through the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he has begun the project of joining the two dimensions and making them a brand new creation. 
That's the mission of God. That's what he's doing. He's taking these two dimensions of reality and he's joining them in to a brand new creation. And so at the ascension, Jesus enters into God's dimension, the heavens, but he enters them as the king of the whole cosmos. In other words, or cosmos, however you want to say that. But rather, so so you can understand it this way. The ascension is not at all about Christ's absence, but rather it's about his ascendancy. So the ascension is not about Jesus went away and now he is absent, but rather the ascension is about Jesus entering into God's dimension where his presence now fills all of creation. And this is where he will remain, seated at the right hand of God the Father, enthroned as king, until he comes again to make heaven and earth into one. Does this make sense? Hopefully. There's a few few nods. That's good. Now, we often refer to this idea of Jesus coming again. We refer to it as the second coming, or as I've just said, his coming again. But even this language isn't that helpful. And the reason the the idea or the language of Jesus coming again isn't very helpful is because if we say that Jesus is going to come again, it assumes that he left. So rather than talking about Jesus coming again, I think a better way for us to understand it and to talk about it is not as him coming again, but as Christ appearing. And so, in other words, there will come a day when what was once hidden will be brought into full light. And what was once hidden is that Jesus Christ right now sits at the right hand of God the Father, enthroned as king over the entire universe. And so when we say, the statement, Jesus is Lord, is not a statement just about the future, But rather, it's a statement of of what's happening right now. That Jesus is right now enthroned as king. And what you and I, as the people of God, have the privilege of doing is going about our lives in the world as though this were true. Because it is. And so we have the opportunity and the responsibility to begin to align our lives and our thoughts and our attitudes as though Jesus is, in fact, king right here and right now. Which is why we talk a lot about the kingdom of God. You can't be at Emmaus Road for very long before you hear this idea of the kingdom of God coming about. And I say, let's live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's give, make sure our allegiance belongs not to a particular country, not even to a particular political party. But let's make sure our allegiance primarily belongs to the kingdom of God. And you can be patriotic and love our country. I do. But I have an allegiance that belongs to the kingdom of God. And when our allegiance belongs to the kingdom of God, what we are doing is in essence recognizing that by the ascension, by way of the ascension, Jesus Christ is now king over the world. And so we have the responsibility and a privilege of being able to do that. So in other words, the hope of Christianity then becomes, it it is not getting out of here someday, but rather the hope of Christianity is that someday Christ will be fully revealed as the world's true king and heaven and earth will go from a magic eye picture, let's put it up there again, 
It will, the, the world will go from a magic eye picture to the picture that it actually reveals a beautiful city. Let's show that. Now, this is the, this is the hope of heaven. This is the hope of the gospel. That we will move from sort of the scrambled beauty of the magic eye to the revealed beauty of the new creation. This is the hope to which we hold on to. And so, again, the point of the ascension is not that Jesus left. The point of the ascension is that Jesus has entered into heaven, which is God's dimension, to rule the world as the world's true king. And he is working then through his spirit to bring heaven and earth together at last. And so I'll say it again. The great hope of Christianity is not, and let's stick with our analogy here, the great hope of Christianity is not that the magic eye picture will be abandoned in favor of something totally different, but rather our hope is that the magic eye picture will be unveiled and turned into a beautiful picture of heaven and earth joined together. Now let me tell you a little bit about this picture and the magic eye that I was showing. As I was doing research online to try to find magic eye, remember when they were popular, all of that, I found this little tool. And it says, churn any picture into a magic eye picture. And I thought, hey, let's do that. And so, functionally, I don't think it works as, 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 like in the same way that all of the magic eye pictures that you know. But the magic eye picture that I was showing is the magic eye representation of this picture. In other words, there is an organic relationship between the two. And so God's will and God's plan is to unveil the magic eye to reveal the picture in all of its beauty. There is an organic relationship between the world in which we now live and are to bear witness to the kingship of Jesus and our hope of God's new creation. These are not two separate things. They are not completely separated, but rather there's an organic relationship between the two. One is an unveiling of the other. Does this make sense? This is why our sort of modern understanding of the, of the relationship between heaven and earth is actually pretty dangerous. If you assume that these two are just totally different and, and ne'er shall the two ever meet, uh, then that does all kinds of things uh, to the way in which you think about God's ultimate plan for what's going on. But if we recognize the relationship between heaven and earth as two dimensions of the same reality, then it gives all sorts of fullness to the hope of the gospel. And I hope this makes sense. What, it, what this ultimately means then is that the ascension has everything to do with how you and I live our Christian lives today. And, 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 and largely in Western modern Christianity, we've almost completely ignored it. Uh, when was the last time you were in a... In a mainline Protestant church, and they talked about Ascension Sunday. <laughs> Probably a long time, maybe never. Uh, but this idea of the Ascension has everything to do with how we live our lives today because it embodies for us and shows us that Christ is right now the world's true king enthroned in heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, if you'll look then, and in response to this, uh, I believe it's in verse, uh, let's see, 14. They all join together constantly in prayer. Uh, we can add in there prayer as a form also of worship, along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all of his brothers. 
And so the people then respond to this ascension. They see Jesus going up into God's dimension. uh, And then they respond in worship and in prayer. And so, uh, and actually I would want to submit to you that these are very natural responses to the ascension and to the waiting of the renewal of all things. Because, and I want you to hear this, because it is through worship and prayer that we share in the life of heaven. It is through worship and prayer that we share in the life of heaven or we share in God's dimension. In other words, when we are in prayer and when we are worshiping, and not just through music, but yes, through music, when we are there worshiping and when we're gathered together and when we're at the table and when we're praying, heaven and earth, these two dimensions are overlapping. They're intersecting with one another. And we here in in this dimension are interacting with the dimension of heaven, God's space. And so in these two things, uh, we, we interact with the life of heaven. In other words, if you read the whole narrative of Acts, from this point forward, the story of Jesus' followers takes place in both dimensions. Heaven and earth are constantly interacting and intersecting with one another. They're overlapped and overlapping until the day when they will be joined together. And so in light of this, uh, I want to close the message by inviting us to consider your prayer and your worship. I want to invite you to consider your prayer and your worship. If you are anything like me, uh, when you sit down to pray in the midst of your busy schedule And if you're like me, your house is not quiet. (laughs) And you're trying to pray, it just becomes work, right? And sometimes you feel so disconnected to any sense of the presence of God, the goodness of God, or God speaking. And so we sort of live with this, this guilt around our prayer life. You know, I think if I ask the question, how many of you think that you should pray more. I think every, room, every hand in the room would go up, right? Because we kind of have this, this guilt surrounding our prayer life. Man, I need to pray more. I wish, I want to be better at prayer. I want to shift our thinking a little bit this morning. Just as, as an awareness that I hope will, will help motivate you to, to even in the midst of the busyness and even in the midst of the craziness of your home, to, to do your best to engage with God in prayer. Because when we pray, and I don't care if it's praying in the, in, in the reverent silence of a monastery or in the crazy busyness of a home with young kids. When we pray, we are intersecting the life of heaven. And through prayer, we can allow our heart our mind, and our soul to connect with the heavens. And this is absolutely essential to the life and practice of faith. Because when we do that, guess what? There in prayer, the God of heaven will encourage you. He will guide you. He will lift you up. He will move you in the right direction. He will soften your heart. 
He will teach you. He will show you a perspective that you haven't seen before. And he will give you wisdom that you didn't have before. And even in the times when you don't feel clearly that God has led you, and that you didn't experience those things, that's okay. Because through prayer, you have connected your soul to the dimension of heaven. And you have sat in the presence of Jesus. And that is enough. And so what I want to do is, is in recognizing, first of all, the, the meaning of the ascension. And then saying, okay, through prayer, I can actually begin to connect my heart and my mind and my soul to the heavens and to God through this this function of prayer, I want to hopefully allow us to just begin to shed some of the guilt around, I ought to be praying more, I ought to be better at prayer. And let's just say, you know what? Prayer is a gift that God has given to us to interact with the heavens so that the presence of God might form us, shape us, lead us, direct us, give us new perspective, show us something we hadn't seen before in a situation or or in a relationship or something that that all of these things can come about. But if they don't, and let's be honest, when they don't, that's okay. Because I've connected my heart to Jesus. And when they do, the reward is so great. And so I want us to begin to kind of shed the guilt of, of our prayer life and begin to just be, to see prayer as an opportunity to connect my heart to God. And then I want to invite us. Well, I, uh, let me close out prayer a little bit. Uh, I encourage you then to seek after God in prayer. To connect your heart to King Jesus and allow this good king to show you his ways. And what you'll find is that he, through his Holy Spirit, is drawing you more and more toward the fruit of the Spirit. I would be willing to bet that whatever, whoever you picture as a hero of the faith, and you say, you know what, they embody the fruit of the Spirit. I'd be willing to bet every single time that that person is a person of prayer. Because it is through prayer and connecting our heart and our soul to God that His Spirit begins to work in us and move us more and more toward His fruit. Amen? And so let's shed the guilt. (laughs) Let's shed the guilt and see it as an opportunity. And then through worship. You know, when we think about worship in in a modern context, we often uh, use worship as a synonym for music. And that's certainly true. In fact, I I would say that music is one of God's great gifts uh, that allows us to engage in worship of, of, of the God of the heavens. Um, and so when we, when we worship through music, I want to ask you, or, or, or point out to you, sorry, when we join in, in uh, worship together through music, we are joining our voices with the angels of heaven who are singing praises to God. Uh, in other words, 
there is always a song being sung. And when we sing, we're just joining the song. There is always, I would say this about prayer too, there is always a prayer that is being prayed. And when we pray, we're just connecting ourselves to that prayer. And so when we sing, we join with all the voices of our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, of, of, the angels in the he- of the angels in the heavens, and singing praises to God. And so worship can be and must be a time of reflection, but it also can be a time of great celebration and praise. And for that reason, I would encourage you to not be afraid to lift your voice and your hands in praise to God. <laughs> it is okay to allow the posture of your body to mirror the posture of your heart. It's also okay to allow the posture of your body to inform the posture of your heart. In other words, you may have had a really terrible week. And you may have gotten a call this week that has just shaken your life and your foundation to the core. And in just a few moments when we sing Good, Good Father, you may say in your heart, I don't really believe it. But guess what? If you will have the courage to, during that song, to raise your hands up in praise to God, the posture of your body begins to inform the posture of your heart. And you begin to connect more and more to the message that, in fact, God is a good, good father. So we should never be afraid to embody the feelings of our heart. And we should never be cautious to allow our body to kind of pull our heart along (laughs) when we need it because the two are connected. And so don't be afraid to lift your voice and your hands. And then I also encourage you when it comes to music through uh, or worship through music, I encourage you to ask yourself these questions. Is my worship tied to a particular musical style? Is my worship tied to a particular collection of songs that I really like? Is my worship tied to a particular leader? And while it may take a while, I I pray that the Lord would help all of us get to a place where the answer is no, because we revel in the opportunity to join our voices with the praises of the heavens. And then, of course, worship is not just contained to music, but worship is lifestyle. Worship is, is liturgy. Worship is, is all of this that we do on Sunday morning. And so let me talk a moment about our worship through liturgy. You know, some people get nervous uh, about liturgy or the, even the language of liturgy because uh, it might become ritualistic. In fact, I'm often asked um, why we receive communion every single week. Uh, because in doing so, aren't we also in danger of, of the practice of communion becoming dead? And that, those are always the words that people say. Aren't you in danger of communion becoming dead? Um, when, when folks say that, uh, they are actually making a critical category mistake. Uh, because liturgy is not alive or dead. Uh, liturgy is either true or false. It's the worshiper who is dead or alive. And so when you have a true liturgy mixed with an alive worshiper, then you have the tremendous potential of the Spirit of God showing up. 
And so, yes, we receive communion every single week. And if you feel in your heart that it has just become ritual, then by all means abstain. But when you're ready, it will be here (laughs) for you to partake, for you to receive, and for you to take in the very life of Christ through the elements. And so the ascension is not about Jesus left, and that's why he's not walking flesh and blood among the streets today, but rather the ascension is about the ascendancy of Christ to the right hand of God the Father where he is enthroned as king. Sorry, I almost fell, and there's a hole on the stage. Um, (laughs) And then you and I, as the people of God, have the opportunity to embody that kingship in the world, to proclaim that kingship in the world. And two great responses are prayer and worship. For, by in, for in these things, we interact with the heavens. Amen? Amen. Let's say a word of prayer and I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good gift of your word. Father, we take pleasure in studying your word and discussing your word in our life groups. Uh, But God, help us not to substitute the words of God for the living word of God who is Christ. God, may we be caught up in worship of the risen Son of God. God, may we be caught up in worship of the one true king of the world who is now enthroned in the heavens. And God, we look forward to the day when Christ will appear and what was once hidden or veiled to those who couldn't see it or couldn't have the, didn't have the perspective will be made known to all that Christ is king. And so Lord, in the meantime, help us to embody this message. In our interactions at work, in our neighborhoods, among this community, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, among our family. God, in all of these things, may we embody the true kingship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.